0: Paul House,
1: One of the best parts of attending ATX, whether in person or virtually, is getting to interview the creatives who keep us so entertained. So imagine how excited we are to welcome to the Press Pass podcast today, two of the folks behind the film short series, Speech and Debate. Joining us now, the director and producer of Speech and Debate, Cassandra Jean Mel, and one of the stars of Speech and Debate, and also a producer, Stephen Amel. Cassandra and Stephen, thank you guys for joining us today. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. Happy to be in Texas.
1: Mm-hmm is the heat getting to you? I understand it's about 2000 degrees in Texas this week.
0: (laughs) I don't think so. I grew up with it. So I feel like um, I can, that that humidity based heat is really in my blood. I have a harder time with our time in the desert, uh, in California, that dry heat gets me.
2: Well, we have a we have an airstream, we have a spot out here and all that we have on it right now, as we're doing a little construction is uh, an airstream that we actually brought down from Vancouver when I wrapped on Arrow. And um, these things are built to withstand the heat. So it's a it's, uh, frigid in here, it's lovely. That's,
1: <laughs> is, that, is that the Toronto in you? Uh, you know, the, the Canada in you coming out that you need the cold temperatures all, all year long?
2: No. As Cassandra was, was just saying, when we tend to be out in the desert, there's a line of demarcation there where once it gets above a certain heat, she's just out, with the reason being that she grew up in South Texas. Meanwhile, the Canadian in me actually tries to actively avoid being cold, because I grew up being cold all the time. <laughs> and um, I mean, obviously not in the summer and stuff like that, but people are always like, well, let's go on a ski vacation. Let's go somewhere cold or something like that. And let's go, no. I'm done. Yeah. I, I, I did my time.
1: I, I grew up in New York. I'm, I'm a lifelong New Yorker, so I grew yeah. up with, like, I was born in a blizzard, you know, back in, like, 78, you know, so I, uh, I have this thing about the snow, too. Like, I've lived long enough that I don't need snowy winters anymore.
2: There it is. That's, That's exactly right.
3: Have you guys been uh, getting the emails from ERCOT stating that you should helpfully turn your thermostat up to 78
0: Yes, we have. I uh, would say Paul
1: is actually uh, from Houston, uh, so he, he's a he's a Houstonite. So, yeah, well, as, look, as
0: we, am
2: I. We deal with that. We deal with that all the time out, out in the desert too. It's it's um, the the rule tends to be to not go more than thirty degrees below what the temperature is outside. So if it gets super hot out in the desert, yes, yeah, so know. when it's
0: one twenty five out in the desert and they don't want you to go thirty b- degrees below, you're sitting in your living room and it's ninety five. It's cranking away just to keep it at ninety five.
3: Texans don't like to follow rules.
0: I said we got the
3: emails. I left it at that. <laughs> right, exactly right. I'm, I'm
1: a fan of the Canon has been replaced by an air conditioner and the, the, the come-and-take-it uh, logoing that's going on. It's I've, I've enjoyed. Uh, Very much. So, you know, as we mentioned, you guys are in ATX this week, uh, here to premiere the third installment of the Speech and Debate trilogy, Speech and Debate Legacy. But I want to take a quick step back. I, I know you guys have talked a lot over the last year about why you made Speech and Debate but I'm a little curious why you've kept up with it. Was it just, there was a story in your head and you had to tell all the parts or is it just you were still in lockdown and quarantine and you still needed something to do without driving each other crazy?
0: It was a combination of both. Originally, Speech and Debate was written as a feature and I approached the writer, came in Edwards about converting it to a short form format because I thought that, you know, we really only need to see a snapshot of this world We just need to see some of the shenanigans that these characters get up to. We don't really need to have this, you know, big arc where we're following them all year long. Certainly could have worked that way, but it it didn't have to in order to tell this story and give people, give viewers a glimpse into this world. Um, And then when the pandemic happened, we were so everybody was so pumped with how the first one turned out pandemic happened people were just dying to do creative things and with the second episode we certainly did things differently to be pandemic friendly meaning having people just talk into laptops but we had a lot of very excited people crew and cast that were pumped to do more so it worked really well in our favor that we um just were able to get everybody together obviously the pandemic was in no one's favor but you know uh we were just trying to make the make the best of a I don't want to say bad situation, but it was a tough situation for a lot of people.
3: So, Cassandra, up until now, you've had a career mostly in front of the camera. What about directing and behind the camera stuff interested you?
0: Well, I've always been interested in directing, but I kind of thought at first that I had to go the more traditional route of uh, not traditional, but the, the route that I've seen lots of actors go, which is, you know, be in a series do that for a couple of years, then ask, say, hey, can I do an episode and, and go that way? And um, I just said, well, you know, I've, I've put a lot of time into my my family, took a break to have a kid, all of that stuff. And, and I want to do this now. So I uh, saw this material that came and had and said, let's just go for it. Let's make this because this is a brilliant script and we would love to see it come alive on screen.
3: So then what was that feeling like to show it at festivals like Holly Shorts or here at ATX?
0: it's very satisfying to see not to not only because when you finish a project most of the time you know when it's good um whether you're in front of the camera or behind the camera you look at a finished product and you know when you've done something really fun or really awesome just um anything that you can be proud of but then to get to share it with other people is exciting
1: I was really impressed when I went digging through the below the line, behind the scenes people, hair, makeup, sound, camera. There were so many people from Arrow that were involved in the project, you know, going back to, I guess, when Arrow was finishing filming Mm -hmm. uh, in in late 2019. But Aisha Tyler was not part of Arrow. So I've remained curious, like, how did you guys come across her? How did she get involved with the project?
2: Aisha and I got to know each other way back in oh gosh maybe twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. We met at a CW upfront party, and then would see each other at comic cons and stuff, uh, stuff like that. Mostly in, in San Diego when I did her, I did her podcast the following year. And uh, we just became, we became really good friends and then we became best friends and then our, and then she and Cassandra became friends as well. We just, you know, a whole big friend group. And um, she was going to be up in Vancouver, I think, because they were visiting, believe it or not, to uh, come to the rap party of Arrow. Well,
0: we scheduled the shoot to coincide with um, with the wrap party. When Cayman and I were doing our rewrites to make it from a feature to short form, I said, you know, I think we could get Aisha on board for this if we ask nicely. I talked to her. She said, you know, definitely interested. Let's take a look at the script and all of that stuff. But as we did those rewrites, we kind of did them with Steven and Aisha and their friendship dynamic in mind. And I think that really worked in our favor because they were able to really have fun with it and go for it and just let their natural back and forth do its thing in front of the camera.
1: There's a really natural chemistry that comes out between the two of you. Even when you guys are screaming at each other, there's like this there's like this magnetism attraction between the two of you that I, I really enjoyed. There's a scene in actually Aftermath where you guys are picking the garbage is like the end scene where you're both walking parallel down towards the camera and just spitting vile at each other. And it's hysterical. How much of that was improv? Was that all Cayman's words or were you guys just like turn the camera on and let it go? It had a real improv feel to it.
2: I think in that particular scene, most if not all of it was was Kamen's writing, and I think in that particular scene, it was a lot like if you ever if you ever see Adam McKay sitting behind the monitors and just like throwing out lines to Will Ferrell in the right. Anchorman bloopers, right. it was a lot of that. it was just it was Kamen throwing some stuff in, mostly Cayman and then Aisha would say something, and that would prompt a natural response from me and then we just let the cameras roll, which I thought was a really cool thing the cast did.
0: Yeah, those are some long takes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it looked it looked like it was just like you know, this—a very long field filled with garbage uh, and oh, lots yeah. to pick up. So, uh, definitely <laughs> the most creative use of garbage, I, you know, and uh, and, <laughs> and 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 commenting on people. So, very very funny. Right.
3: Garbage to build character. Right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> now that we've seen both uh, speech and debate and the aftermath, can you tease a little bit about legacy and what we might expect to see tomorrow?
0: Um, I think that the best thing I can say about legacy is that we get to see a new character and a further expansion or a glimpse of this world who is just as preposterous as our other leads.
3: There's been a character listed on the ATX roster who's familiar in a way I'm not going to say if you're not saying I'm not going to say.
0: I mean anybody that does their research, I think, at this point can figure it out. But for those that want to be surprised, I think we'll we'll leave it at that.
3: Okay. All right.
1: <laughs> Love it. Well, I think people will definitely be surprised at the panel tomorrow. Guys, don't don't spoil it for yourselves. Just be surprised. Just tune in. Just tune in.
3: Is this trilogy gonna be it for the speech and debate canon or or will there be more?
0: That's a great question. We are very lucky to have a great cast and crew. And with that means that they are all of us are quite busy. (laughs) So we used that time during the pandemic where a bunch of other shows were sort of figuring out what they were going to do. And because this was a smaller production, we were able to just kind of pull it together really quickly and take advantage of, of a lot of really brilliant creatives. So we would love to do more, but in terms of scheduling, and now all of these productions are kind of catching up, it's sort of a TBD at the moment.
3: Well, you know, short films don't really come to ATX, but people pitching TV series do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely, um, this is what we're considering short form content, you know, uh, mm-hmm. short form mini series to be exact. All the subgenres these days are, <laughs> it feels like the list is quite long. Um, but I, this is, I think, it was really important to do content like this because at a time where a lot of TV was put on halt, people would just really wanted to laugh and their favorite TV shows weren't necessarily available.
1: I, and it also works in, you know, that whole proof of concept kind of way. So, mm-hmm. you know, totally. yeah. someone has that money. Th- this has a real, yeah. like, um, IFC kind of feel to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. The both of you have spoken at length during the speech and debate tour and in interviews that you've done about working together as you know, being directed. Stephen, you taking direction for Cassandra, and Cassandra, you directing Stephen. But I, I'm curious how that relationship fared or evolved during the shooting, during the quarantine aspect, because now it wasn't just. Like we're working, we're filming, and then we go our separate ways. Now it's we're working, we're filming, and then we have to. You know, you have your you have your daughter, and you, <laughs> then you're living together. You're always together, work or otherwise. Did did the strain come in at any point, either professional or personally?
2: Well, I'm not the easiest person to work with. I tend to think <laughs> I, I tend to think that I tend to think that you you know after after take two, you've got it. And so, I mean, there's I always have a natural push and pull with any director. Like on Arrow, I would always be, you know, I'd be really excited for a new director to come in on the episode. And then by the end of the episode, I'd be really excited for the next director to get there. Um, is the <laughs> nice, Next! Nice, nice way to put it. And Sometimes Cass wanted more takes than I wanted, and you butt heads a little bit, but we didn't go to bed mad. Let's put it that way.
0: No, and I think that there was especially um, when you're dealing with a type of genre where there really is a lot of improv element and just... Let's do one more and do whatever you want. Just kind of have fun with it. There would be times where Stephen would go, that was my best take. We got it. We don't need to do another one. I'm like, cool. But the camera wasn't on you. (laughs) So um, just do it again. Do exactly what you did. But, you know, that wasn't your coverage. So there were sometimes some technical issues. um, And by by issues, I don't mean issues. I mean, we only had two operators, so we had to do multiple setups um, because it was a pandemic, and we did a skeleton crew. So I only had two cameras, and normally... In something, uh, if I had my dream, I would do um, three or four cameras with cross coverage and a master all at the same time. So if there is improv gold, we're just hitting it from all angles. But that just that was sort of the reality of working in a pandemic and a time of uh, limitation.
1: There's a scene in Aftermath where Gil is interrupted while he's zooming and he screams off camera. About about lunch being made, and I and I thought to myself, I don't know anyone who can't identify with this moment over the last year. Just you know, for fuck's sake, I'm doing my thing. Ah, You know, it (laughs) just it it just felt so real. I was like, they are speaking to all of us right now.
2: Oh yeah, no, we just (laughs) we just did an interview with a gentleman, and he was he was just saying, you know, don't mind if my if my son shows up, and his son didn't show up. His son his son pulled out the router in the middle of the interview. Uh, connection, <laughs> so, you know. Oh, he showed <laughs> up in a way. <laughs> right.
3: yeah, yeah. I'll but do you one better, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> one of the mar- remarkable things about these shorts is how much character you convey in such a short amount of time. If you're used to working in in longer formats, tell me about the challenge of creating Gill and Candice's story in such a condensed format.
2: Uh, well, I think a lot of that is in the a lot of that is in the writing. I thought Cameron did a wonderful job with all three shorts. But then there's also just with Cassandra's direction and the, the confessional style shots that we had where we're going directly to camera, we let those breathe and took some time with it despite the fact that this is a short format. And I just think I you just get to know people right away, and just or just little little things that you mentioned, like just the little the little elements that we left in the short, like of him screaming off camera when he's when he's talking during the during the second episode. I, I don't. Know, I think that that I think that that really helps it, and I like to think that Aisha and I have a nice natural chemistry that comes across and just makes it easier to get to know the characters.
1: Uh, Steven, playing Gil really allowed you to use your comedy chops in a way that most people who follow your work maybe aren't used to seeing from you or not mm-hmm. in so much con- you know concentrated abundance. Was stretching yourself this way something you'd been looking to do? Is it something you think you want to do more of in the future now that you've had a taste of it?
2: Oh gosh, I love comedy so much, and I got to do a little bit of it before I got onto Arrow. And then I'm I'm fine doing something for eight years. I'm perfectly fine being painted with that with that brush because it was you know such a successful and transformative period of my life.
0: Plus, you're very attractive when you're brooding. Thank you
2: know. very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, there's so, the secret uh,
1: of life in quarantine uh, with uh, Steven. Uh, we uh, just heard okay. it. <laughs> That's it. Know,
2: honestly, the first fish in the Bay a lot of it and and a lot of the the improv moments was just straight up me trying to make the aero crew laugh that was it like because again we shot it during our series finale we shot it over over the weekend and you know a ton of people came in gave up their time i just wanted it to be fun for them and funny because you know they've spent they, a lot of them had spent like eight years watching me do a particular thing and I just thought it was fun to stretch it out in a different way. I love doing comedy. It's really funny and uh, you know between Gil and you know Jack Spade on the new show is not particularly funny when he's not in the ring but when he's in the ring. I don't know. I think he can get pretty funny, which is cool.
1: Well, I think Oliver Queen, even though, had a real uh, dry wit about him. I mean, he had a really sarcastic, kind of ironic humor about him. But if you watched Arrow long enough, you know Oliver was going to make you laugh, at least in the circumstances. You know
2: the quips yeah. and stuff. So eventually, we got there and we got more sort of to the root of what the character is like in the comics. But in the early days, especially, he was a little he was a little dour.
1: Yeah, well, it's tough when you're doing no salmon ladders, to be cracking jokes. It's, t- it's tough to have a tight five, you know, when you're going up and down.
3: So speaking of the future, what you guys want to do, I've noticed that the Amels seem to be taking a lot of creative control over what they want to be doing with things like Code 8 and Heels and, and now this. What does that mean? What are you guys doing? What's your big master plan? Is, is Cassandra going to take over the world with more directing or, or what's this all look like for the Amels?
0: Uh, that's a great question. I think you know this is a quote that Stephen always loves to throw out there is um, Lena Dunham who says, "If too if too many people made it, I don't know. It if this feels is, like nobody made it. The personal is universal." Yeah, I don't know I'm if this her, I don't know if
2: this is her <laughs> quote, but she, exactly but I heard it from her first, where she says the personal is universal, and if too many people get involved in something, it feels like nobody made it with heels heels is very now obviously we're with a network stars but that was the vision of michael waldron who uh just obviously people know of of newfound uh, loki fame he's having a moment right now Sure, he's having a a well-deserved moment and um and michael malley came in to do a lot of the rewrites on heels but it very much was it's very much you know a a singular vision um same with code eight you know that's the vision of jeff chan um and well his writing partner chris Parry as well obviously but you know, from a directorial standpoint, and just the scope and the feel and the and the vibe of the world, you know, that was his vision. And, you know, we've partnered up with Netflix to do the sequel, but, you know, they've given us the same amount of autonomy that we had in the first one when we just crowdfunded it ourselves. So I, I just, I like being involved in, I like being involved in projects that really just have, you know, a singular vision. And, By the way, that vision doesn't have to be mine. I I don't necessarily, I don't have to be a producing partner, but if I was going to work with any type of filmmaker, I, I just want it to be something that is unique to them. I've been fortunate that way recently, which is nice. H- Hypothetically,
1: let's say the panel is a smash hit tomorrow, which it's going to be. That's not <laughs> hypothetical. But l- let's say a network comes to you, Cassandra, and says, we want to make this show. We want to make it full-time. We make a, a you make know, a half-hour single-cam comedy sure. kind of thing. Is sure. there a plan in place? Do you and Cayman have you guys talked about what that looks like if this was to convert to a television show? Do you have mm-hmm. a book, a talk. Bible? Uh,
0: yeah, we do. Um, And that is obviously subject to change because, you know, we talked about spending more time in Texas. We talked about adding new characters. We talked about, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of hypothetical discussions uh, where we would love to see these characters go and, and introduce new characters and just show how expansive this world is. I mean, even people that aren't in, we based our team in Texas because Kamen and I are from Texas. But, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of people from Indiana and Oregon that are like, it, this, is, this is my high school experience. I can totally relate. I had this teacher that was batshit crazy, and I, it just—it really spoke to me. So I think there's a lot of room for expansion. We have talked about possibilities for that, but you know, a lot of that depends on where it would end up and format and um, a lot of other variables. But we've—we've we've, we've got some ideas brewing.
1: You guys could be due for speech and debate, what Glee did for show choir. You know,
0: <laughs> that would be fine. I wouldn't turn that down. <laughs>
1: Uh, Steven, I I know we have to let you guys go in a second, but you mentioned Heels. It's coming out in August on Stars. Can Mm -hmm. you tease a bit about the story for people who haven't been following it or somehow don't know about your love of wrestling and and other other wrestling things? And and more specifically about Jack Spade, what kind of character he is that we could expect.
2: Well, we are set in the wild and wacky world of independent professional wrestling in small town Georgia. But it it really is. It's a story about family. It's about Jack's dynamic with Ace, his younger brother, his dynamic with Stacey, his wife and his mom, Um, Ace's dynamic, Ace being played by Alexander Ludwig, and his dynamic with Kelly Berglund's character, Crystal. Um, And then just in general, to sort of extend the family aspect of it, the DWL, which is the Duffy Wrestling League, you know, really is his wrestling family. It was a league that was started by his dad that he's running now, that he's trying to save actually more or less because his dad has tragically died recently you know you can be a big wrestling fan and you're going to enjoy the show because we went to great lengths to respect the business and to make it as real as possible but if you don't know a thing about wrestling and you just enjoy interesting family dynamics and some comedy and some you know real real emotion then I think you'll like the show it's August 15th on Stars. it's the Sopranos times slot Sunday at 9 p.m. I was very flattered when we got that time slot.
1: That's a big deal. That's that's a lot of faith in that show Sunday. Yes, it is.
2: uh,
1: (laughs) uh, But uh, so Jack Spade, not so much Vince McMahon in the late 70s, something different, you know, in uh, there is.
2: uh, Listen, first, we name check Vince McMahon in the first episode, which I think is pretty cool. But there is a Vince McMahon to Jack from his perspective. You know, his dad created the Duffy Wrestling League, but he never looked beyond Duffy, Georgia. And Jack's whole thing is that he eventually wants the DWL to be the competition with the WWE. And I suppose also with AEW now. So quite right. I mean, Vince McMahon Sr. was, you know, very much he had his territory in New York, and that was fine. And Vince McMahon that we know now took the WWE to a national level and obviously now global. Um, so there is that aspect there, but we start out Vince McMahon in the late 70s. It's a it's a it's an apt uh, it's an apt comparison.
1: Well, Cassandra Jean, uh, Stephen, thank you guys so much for joining us today. For you guys listening, don't forget that the Speech and Debate Legacy premieres tomorrow at ATX TV Festival. That's Saturday, June 19th at 5 p.m. Central Time. It's going to be followed by a panel discussion of the movie as well as the process of creating independent content with friends and collaborators during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven, Cassandra Jean, and and a bunch of your friends, I think, including secret character that we're not naming, <laughs> uh, are going to be on that panel. So you guys definitely want to go check that out. Sounds
0: good. Thank, Thank you guys very us. much.
1: Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. Right. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production.